Um, well, how are you doing? We want to thank you for taking the time to uh, jump on the show with us. I know we've tried to schedule a few times, but obviously I heard uh, running for office gets a little busy. Is that true? It, do- it turns out it gets pretty busy. Yeah, I was just on a bus for... 20 days in which we had 17 stops and went through 24 states or something like that. So, oh, wow. Where are you at right now? I'm back home now. I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina now, and I will be here for at least a week. Uh, and then after that, I'm hitting the Northeast and then the Southeast and then Texas and then possibly like the mountain, the mountain North states, Montana, Idaho, the Dakotas, that kind of stuff. And possibly one of either Hawaii or Alaska, but I will have visited about like 44 or 45 states by the time this is all over. All right. Very cool. Yeah. Um, What's been the best experience so far? Do you have, uh, have you had uh, anything specifically good in any specific parts of the tour or has it all been swell or like, yeah, no, it's, it's been great. And I'm trying to think of one individual thing. Um, I, th- I think what's happened repeatedly over and over again in, in many different ways, but kind of going back to the same thing, the, my favorite thing is when someone, wh- one of two things, either when someone who will come to one of my tours or rallies, they've either never heard of libertarianism and they just had to see what was going on. Cause I'm, you know, we have a loudspeaker, you know, we have, you right. know, audio set up, set up and I'm very loud anyway. <laughs> and you know, the whole town in that nearby area is hearing me rant about, you know, taking the power back and they're like, what the hell is it? And they come out and listen. And then in talking with me in the Q and a, or, or afterwards when I'm doing, you know, selfies and autographs and stuff, yeah, them getting it and saying, Oh wow. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Or, or doing the same when I've gone to like uh, gun rights protests or, or black lives matter protests and talking to them and telling them what our, what our, what our plans are and having them say, Oh, well then we're voting for you. I think that that's an exciting thing. Uh, another, another thing that's exciting is when I talk to very dedicated activists who feel right. very deflated because mm-hmm. we don't win as often as we would like. Right. And, you know, they often feel hopeless, like, oh my gosh, are we going to have another cycle where we don't, you know, where, where, where we don't win as nearly as many as we were running for? Cause we always mm-hmm. do a little bit better than the time before, but right. you know, are we going to, you know, when are we going to finally break through? And, and taking them along with me when they get to see me, you know, bringing people into the movement and seeing that I'm not magic. I'm just applying solid principles of how to bring people into, into, you know, your idea uh, that I learned from, you know, running a business for 20 years. And I'm now applying it to politics and seeing them have that moment of, oh, wow, we can actually win this thing and, and having hope return. Um, so that energizes me in, a, in, a, in an incredible way. Uh, I'd say the only, the, the only other thing that was probably the most um, heartwarming, uh, was, um, I had to put my dog down right before I did this bus tour. Um, yeah, it was, the timing was terrible. We were hoping he'd stabilize long enough for me to do the tour and come back, but he instead went downhill real quickly. If anything, I waited a couple days too, too long, but I just, I I wanted every moment I could have with my buddy. And, um, and I, 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 and I had to put him down in less than 24 hours later, I was in Cincinnati, uh, on the first leg of my tour. And on the second day, uh, a bunch of the, uh, the boog boys that showed up, uh, mm-hmm. the boog boys and girls that showed up, they had actually gotten a condolence card and they had all signed it. Right. And, um, that was just like, I mean, I started crying right there, but That's it awesome. was, uh, it was pretty heart, heartwarming. Um, but no, I mean, there's, I, 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 I'm having a hard time singling out a single thing cause it was an incredible tour. Okay. That's awesome. Well, I, I want to ask something going back to your, back to the rallies. Um, do you ever get like any angry people or anything that show up like you're taking away votes from 
from this candidate or this candidate who are like are either you know hardcore like either you know for Biden in this case or Trump. I mean, do you ever get any of that criticism or anything like that? And not so much at the rallies uh, or even at the protests I've been to, because, man, if you go to a gun rights protest or a Black Lives Matter protester, you talk with these lockdown protesters, most of them are done with the Republicrats across the board. Not all of them, but most of them are. But I have done we, we've uh, I, where I saw more of what you're talking about was when I've gone and helped uh, back when we were still trying to get ballot access in all the states. And we are now we, we know now that we will have ballot access in all 50 states, plus D.C. Awesome. and Guam. Um, and, uh, but so when I was doing, uh, going to different States and helping with their ballot access petitions, where I would go up to people and say, Hey, would you like to sign this petition that, you know, help get us on the ballot? I would occasionally run into people who go, you're taking votes from, from Biden, uh, and, or you're taking votes from Trump. And the way I always dealt with that was I turn around to the supporters that were there and I'd say, uh, Hey guys, uh, raise your hand. If, uh, you would be voting for Trump or who, Biden, whoever they said that we're taking votes from, raise your hand if you'd vote for that guy if uh, if we weren't running and none of them would. And I go, okay, well, it looks like uh, we're not stealing votes for, from anyone uh, and we're just you know giving people who have no interest in voting for either of them a chance. Uh, when I'm being a little bit more snarky, I say, yeah, we are. We're stealing votes from Trump and Biden. Damn we have this right. devious <laughs> scheme uh, to take votes and to throw the election for both of them so that we end up winning the election. Uh, we try not to talk about it too much because it's kind of a, you know, kind of a dastardly scheme we have. But yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do. We're actually trying to win the election. And that involves taking votes from Trump and Biden. Mm -hmm. So um, I followed a little bit uh, some of the stuff you're doing on like social media. It kind of seems, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that your game plan is sort of to try to strategically grow the outreach of the party a little bit. Um which uh, third party in general, whether it's independent, libertarian, something else has kind of needed that in recent years. Is that, would you say that's correct? That's kind of yeah. like uh, been the strategy on the road and whatnot? That's absolutely the strategy. I mean, it, so our high watermark in the presidential election was the result we got last year. Gary Johnson and Bill Weld got uh, 4 million, somewhere between 4 and 5 million votes, which yeah. worked out to 3.26% of the electorate. In order to win the Electoral College and win the election, we need to get roughly 10 times as many votes as they did, give or oh. take. Mm -hmm. That means massive outreach. That right. means we have to reach way more people than we've ever reached before. That means we can't just rely on one niche group. We can't just message within Liberty Circles. Mm -hmm. That's necessary as well to get out our voting base, but we have to reach out to other people. People right. who may not immediately sign on to every single idea of libertarianism. People on the left, people on the right, people in the center, uh, you know, people across the political, people who are politically apolitical or politically uninvolved, people across the political spectrum. We need to reach out to the roughly 40 to 50% of voters uh, who don't vote. They're eligible to vote. They're registered to vote. They don't vote um, because they don't like the options they have. We need to reach out to them as well. So yeah, our, 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 the point of what we are doing is outreach to voters, bringing people into the party and changing the cultural conversation in this country. Politics is always downstream of culture. And if the culture is just an argument between two groups of people arguing over how much control, how much more control government should have, how much less control of our lives we should have, how much more of their money that they should be taking, how many more laws there should be, how much, you know, how, how many more penalties we should be facing for not obeying government. 
until we move that into a cultural conversation about the fact that that arrangement has created the harmful and abusive and inequitable outcomes we're facing and that we need to actually you know, work towards human liberty and, and taking our power and our freedom and our money back from the, the, the sociopaths and cronies that have taken it from us and putting it back in our hands where it always belonged. Uh, that is necessary to be able to win elections. That is necessary to grow the party. Every part of that requires the cultural change in the conversation. Absolutely. Um, one thing uh, we say often, we sort of call it uh, loyalty to the parties, whether you're on the left or the right. The, it's sort of like Vikings versus Packers. Where it, for some yeah. reason, politics is not about being objective anymore. It's about your team and you're going to support your team yeah. no matter mm-hmm. what. Yep. But it's like, do they really have your interests in mind? And uh, just especially now with all of the tension um, in this country, uh, it's really just like mob mentality, tribalism, identity politics. Um, and I think that's really a big opportunity for the Libertarian Party because I think people who lean to the left on some stuff and to the right on some stuff can um, really agree on a lot of issues. So like, you know, criminal justice reform, decriminalization of uh, uh, marijuana, or like uh, bring, pulling back on the war on drugs, uh, yep. ending the re- regime change wars in the Middle East. There's a lot of... Uh, intersect between people on the right and the left who are sick of all the bullshit and uh but they don't realize it because everyone is caught into rooting for their team and part of that too is yeah go go ahead i I was just gonna say and all that comes into play with with media and social media misinformation it just Mm -hmm. it just comes together and it just yeah creates that like team kind of mentality and culture in this this country and it's by intention Let's oh, be yeah. clear on something, yes. gentlemen. Yep. The reason that this that we have this massive two-part divide in a country of 30 million 330 million people is because the Republicans and Democrats are essentially one party. They work together every single day to screw over the American people just a little bit more than they did the day before. Right. And the only way that they can distract us from the obvious fact that they are working together in front of us every single day to make our lives harder and harder and to take control of us divide is to us. keep us divide us, yep. keep us at each other's throats, keep us, it's divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. It is divide and conquer because here's the thing. They don't tell you you're either voting Democrat or Republican. They tell you you're either voting Democrat or you're voting for Nazis. Or they tell you uh, right. you're either voting Republican or you're voting for communists. But the reality <laughs> is, they're both doing the same thing. <laughs> yes. Their rhetoric to their bases is different, but mm-hmm. in terms of what they actually do, it's the same thing. You're going to get the exact same outcomes no matter which Republican gets elected. And the yeah. only way they can distract us from that is to keep us literally fighting each other in the streets because the second we stop doing that, And the second we realize that it's not about left versus right or conservative versus progressive or even Democrat voter versus Republican voter or about, you know, this color versus that color. It is about the us, the American people versus a small handful of incredibly powerful and cynical sociopaths. Mm -hmm. Once we realize that we're able to take a step back and go, oh, they're all in on it. We should be working together. We shouldn't be fighting each other. Absolutely. And that's, that is the message. Now, the flip side of that yeah. is what an incredible opportunity we have mm-hmm. to be able to talk to these folks and show them we don't have to live this way. We don't have to be at each other's throats. We don't have to be subjugated by powerful people that we hate and who hate us or at the very least are apathetic to our existence. We don't have to live this way. We could instead live with great hope. We could live 
uh, united. We could live choosing to voluntarily associate and disassociate as we wish. We could live with our power and our freedom backs and be free to decide what our, 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 our families and our, our households and our careers and our neighborhoods and our communities look like, what our schools look like, what our police and, and, and first responders look like. Uh, we bring the troops home and allow the healing to begin from that. All of these things can happen. Reducing costs in, in, in healthcare and education by getting rid of all of the re regulatory burdens that are driving up the costs in the first place. Doing all of this stuff, we can live freer and happier and safer and healthier lives. And all it takes us doing is letting go of our conditioning that, we, that if we don't vote for the monsters that have created this system, time and again, that we're throwing our vote away. That throwing our vote away is actually continuing to vote for those politicians and parties that created this problem. And that the way that we don't throw our vote away and the way that we do reclaim our power and the way that, the way that we do return hope to ourselves and our loved ones and communities is to vote libertarian, to vote for a, a stark change from what we have now. Absolutely. And it doesn't help that the corporate owned media in this country, they want us to eat and feast upon the yep. narratives yep. that they feed to us. And yep. it's uh, disheartening and frustrating that people don't realize that. And sometimes um, <laughs> you bring that up and it's laughed at like you're you're crazy. And it's like, no, I mean, like, you can literally see like uh, the corporate structure, how like horizontal horizontally integrated these uh, yep. these media companies are um, and that even bleeds in our entertainment too that we digest and consume like Disney owns 41% of all entertainment media on the planet um, why do you think ESPN's gotten so political does it have something to do with Disney owning them like there's all so of the, many uh, working yeah, parts it's agenda, to this. Agendas. It, yep. It's absolutely an agenda, and it all leads into the same thing, protecting their gravy train. All of the mm -hmm. TV and radio media that we consume in this country, is produced, or almost all of it, is produced by six multinational, mega-trillion-dollar companies yep. that have a vested interest in keeping this crony gravy train growing. As you said, this is, I mean, you want to talk about horizontally integrated. They're essentially monopolies. If you take right. everything that they own together, they operate as a six-part monopoly on the vast majority of things that we consume, uh, media, entertainment, even the food that we buy. And when you look at how much power they have over government, especially in DC, over the regulatory agencies, over the politicians that they bought and paid for, they have a system of patronage whereby the Federal Reserve prints out trillions of dollars and hands it to them and gives us the bill with interest and, and allows our uh, currency to lose value over time because of that constant printing out of, of more and more Federal Reserve notes. We're all playing a game of monopoly. And the difference is you and I are playing by the rules and those handful of people are just going to the banker and saying, yeah, I'll have a trillion more dollars for this turn. And that is why we have the system we have. They don't, they know that when libertarians come into office and we start dismantling that gravy train, that they're going to have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and live within their means like they tell us to do every day. Absolutely. That's yeah. perfectly said. I was going to say too, like you brought up like the word condition too, and it goes into people have been so conditioned to this all being okay like like mm -hmm. from from looking at your paycheck at the two-week paycheck people just look at their federal income tax and just oh yeah whatever i mean i'll vote to bring this up and the, the people are yep. fine with that kind yep. of shit like that and it's like the founding fathers would be would be la laughing at us right now oh they would like, be killing people in the streets and, oh there'd be a yeah there'd be an armed yeah. revolution right now and we're not condoning we're not no, advocating no, no, for no, that no, but, no, but we're just no, talking no, about the let's be clear on who's founded this country they would yeah. be they would be fighting an armed revolution long yes. yeah. long ago yeah. um but let's be clear on something here yep 
as you said, conditioning, well, it is what it is. There are people literally on the streets during a pandemic because they are so outraged with how things are going right now. They just can't take it anymore. And yet Mm -hmm. many of them, when you say, well, let's vote for something else, they go, well, this is just the way it is. You are out on the streets. You are out protesting. You are facing tear gas and being arrested. You are facing all of these things because you have no hope and you are done with the whole system. Right. I would argue that giving a third party a chance is, 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 is the time. It, whether it's Libertarian Party, Green Party, whatever, I would argue that if you're already at the point where you're ready to take it to the streets and protest every day, then maybe we can try voting for another party too. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I love seeing that, that, yeah, that energy and that animosity that all these people had against the system, against yep. the police state. But mm-hmm. then you, you ask them who they're voting for, and whether it's Republican or Democrat, I'm like, then it's, it's like, well, you're voting for the same person that has been causing these issues for decades. It's mm-hmm. mis, misdirected anger. It's, and yeah. um, <clears throat> again, I think that's a really big opportunity for the libertarian movement is like, uh, well, we're from Minneapolis, so like we okay. were right here when our city was burning to the ground that mm-hmm. one night. Yeah. Um, the the initial nights before everything escalated and whatever, I think if you were to like talk to people in the streets, and we saw this on some of the Facebook live streams, um, we all just kind of watched in disbelief as our city burned. It was really it was pretty wild. Um, but like you hear people talking about like why they're upset or like why they're angry. And it's like, you know, like, I feel most of these people want the same thing. Like, yes. <laughs> you want, like, limited government, whether it's uh, in one way or another. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> we want uh, a restructured police state. Uh, some of us, like, you know, whether you're on the right or the left, that that's basically the argument right now. We like, want to and- decide what our police look like instead of having the federal government impose it upon us. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. whether you're... Uh, BLM or you're an anarcho-capitalist like yep. you, you kind of have similar goals so very like, similar goals wh- in that regard why yes. are we why are we voting for the ones who are rigging the game like and then you can't even like bring this to people's attention because they're so like I don't know well they're digesting CNN or something like that right and it Fake just, news. It just you know, it's, really yeah. drives like very false narratives that just keep people divided and yeah it, it just creates a mess like a chain reaction well, and also, so the, and you mentioned the burning in the streets. That's right. intentional too. Let's look at what's happened here. Minneapolis right. is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. You had starting off largely peaceful and unarmed yeah. protesters yep. who were showing up to protest the newest example of a militarized police state that was completely out of control and mm-hmm. was being unaccountable and is harming all of us, especially the most marginalized among us. What right. did the police do? They did two things. Number one, they put all of their personnel and resources into dealing with those protesters, with tear gassing them, with arresting them, with rounding them up, with essentially brutalizing them. So here you had uh, uh, people who were not doing any violence yet, but who were very angry and who were protesting police brutality who are now being brutalized by the police. The police created the conditions, both in terms of the the, the protests themselves, but then also with the, the, the riots that happened afterwards. What's the other thing they did? They left the entire rest of the city unpleased. And thanks to the war on guns, they left the people in those parts of the city (laughs) unable to defend themselves against the opportunists who undoubtedly showed up. The the rioters, the looters, the people who take any opportunity to try to create discord and, and harm people. In doing that, they created the conditions for the riots that they wanted. Why? Yeah. 
because now they can go to the American people who are horrified at what they're seeing on TV and go, they said they wanted to hold us accountable. They're burning your city down. We need more power. We need even less accountability. We need even more equipment. We need even more uh, money so we can put this violent mob down and protect you. The organization that created the conditions for this rioting to happen and disarmed you and made it impossible for you to be able to defend yourself against the rioters that they unleashed upon you are telling you that if you give them more power and control and money, this time they will finally protect you. It right. is a protection racket. It yep. has always been that, and it is what it is now. This is why communities need to be able to decide on their own terms at the community level what their police look like. And as an anarcho-capitalist, I believe that they should be able to have competing ideas of what their police force should look like. But I'm not even getting into that right now. Right, right. The, even if that's it's done at the government, episode. that's a whole other episode. <laughs> but even if, 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 even if it's done at the government level, it needs to be done as locally and as community-based as possible so that we don't have this kind of stuff. The other thing that needs to end is the war on guns. Do you want to know what protesters don't get brutalized? Armed <laughs> ones. Oh, yeah. I was in uh, Virginia. I was in Richmond, Virginia. At a, It was actually a joint rally with, uh, uh, it was a gun rights rally, but it was a, a rally with the Boogaloo Boys, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the Huey P. Newton Gun Club, and the original Black Panthers. Right. It was about 80% black, and 100% or 99.9% armed. I didn't have a gun right. on me. I yeah. was about the only person there who didn't have a gun. You did a photo with all those guys, right? Yeah, I, I, I did a few I, photos I think with I, them. I think I saw that, yeah. We were in front of the state house grounds. We were, mm -hmm. I believe, a few hundred yards from the governor. Not only were we not brutalized by the police, we didn't see any police. We actually at one point said, wait a second, where are the police? And we had to look and they were like five blocks down looking at us around the corner like that to see what was going on. Because you don't bring tear gas to a gunfight. Nope. Yeah, no kidding. Ending the war on guns does two things. Number one, it has more of these protesters armed so that they're not brutalized in the first place, which keeps the peace. Mm -hmm. And number two, it allows people, anyone who is being harmed by anyone, including rioters and looters and vandals and so forth, to be able to defend themselves because the police and the government have made it clear that they will not protect you. Absolutely. And... It's very interesting to see here because our state has always been split where obviously we vote blue, yep. but it's just based on the population of the St. Paul and Minneapolis markets. Outside of the, that, the state is 100% red. We're about 30 minutes south of the Twin Cities. So Scott County here where we're located, it's, it's very red and mm -hmm. it's been very interesting to see. Uh, the divide, Minneapolis is basically turning into a mini version of Chicago right now. Down here, everyone is living together. They're doing their thing. It's a very mixed community. Everyone has guns here. Like, it's uh, it's insane. So it's like, it's been really interesting to kind of see that. And it's like, none of us are up there. None of us are uh, hunting people down or trying to cause chaos. We're just of course, mind, of course. We're mind, minding our own stuff and we're all protected. And mm -hmm. it's kind of, that's what the right of everybody is and should be. And, um, especially right. if you're, if your argument is for, uh, slowly, uh, you know, cutting back on police force or w defunding parts of the departments that don't mm -hmm. work, whatever, whatever yep. the argument yep. is, well then like, we you have, have to be guns. able to defend yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I, I believe in that. I believe, uh, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I was, uh, I remember this conversation I had with someone from college and she was a big BLM supporter. I, uh, 
I disagreed with her on a lot of things, but she's very articulate and well-spoken. So I, out of respect, like I was willing to sit and like, listen. And so I just wanted to hear what she had to say about it. And so I was like, okay, like, so let, let me just get this straight. Like, just so I'm understanding correctly, like the issue with the police at the absolute worst is they have a racial bias that they're acting on and they're mm -hmm. basically agents of the state and they have right. the legal authority to take someone's life. So that's like right. the worst case scenario. The yeah, yeah. Uh, least case scenario is there's a lack of like proper training and education for the people who are presuming the role of an officer. And accountability a, if they do bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, is this a correct statement? Is this summarize it correctly? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Like you listen well. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so like, can you understand why I support the second amendment? She's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I mean, um, you make a good case. Like, I think, uh, that that might be scary for someone in that position. So like, I think you should own a gun. I think I should own a gun. And in a peaceful free society, we both have like the equal advantage to choose to live in harmony with each other. And then that government force, the, like the one that, uh, I mean, I don't like living in a nanny state um, because of your race. You have experiences with what you feel is like prejudice or like a racial bias. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not fun for you either. So like, let's eliminate that. And then we both have the ability to protect ourselves and our families. To protect ourselves. Yep. And yep. we can both live in that peace and harmony. And like, it was actually cool because she was like, that's awesome. I, I really love that. No one said that before. I'm yep. like, that's the type of like conversations I would uh, that we like need to, to be, be having. Yeah. Do you know what you did there, by the what, way? What I do. What you did is what we should be doing in libertarian messaging. You yeah, yeah, totally. listened, mm -hmm. you empathized, you reflect this. I say this in, in every yeah. single, if you hadn't brought it up, I would. You listened, you empathized, uh -huh. you reflected back that you understood what she said to you. And right. then you took her on the journey for how liberty solves that problem, or at least greatly reduces the problems or ameliorates yeah. the, the, the issues from it. When we do that, it's not always going to go the way that, that it went with you. You may right. do that with someone and they may go, eh, you know what? I still think we need gun control or, eh, you know what? I don't think that that was whatever. At the very least, you demonstrated that you care about them, that you understand what, what, you're, what they're right. going through and that your ideas are at least based in trying to solve those problems, even if they don't agree with you. You right. planted a seed and that seed, whether they like it or not, will germinate. And if they continue to interact with you and have those kinds of interactions, they'll realize over time, uh-oh, He's right about this. Right. His I'm, ideas make sense and they're consistent and they're intuitive and they make sense to me. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> In the best case scenario, it's what you just went through where they go, oh, wow, that's a great point. You're right. When I showed up to some of these Black Lives Matter protests, I did it as a, as a, uh, as a sort of a, uh, a, a proof of concept. Um, I had already been talking with many of them online during the, during the lockdowns and, and that was going very well. Once mm -hmm. the protest started and I started going out and talking with them and, and applying that same template of listening to their concerns, which allows them to have the catharsis of talking to you. They're already subconsciously developing bonds with you, whether they like it or not, because you're actually listening to them. People mm -hmm. pay hundreds of dollars an hour for this, and right. you're providing a few minutes of it for free. And mm -hmm. while they're doing that, you're identifying all their concerns if you're actually listening to them. I would do this. I'd listen to them, empathize with what they're going through, reflect back that I heard what they said, and then right. said, I got fantastic news for you. Joe Jorgensen and I are going to do the things that you're wanting to do. Ending qualified immunity, ending the war on drugs, ending occupational licensing, ending the war on guns and so forth and so on. 
And many times talking with organizers of these different Black Lives Matter protests, they'd say, okay, well, we're, we're endorsing you. And the first time it happened, yeah. I went, wow, I wasn't even asking for that. That was really easy. But then I realized something. No one else was listening to them. They had one group that was pandering to them, right. full well knowing that they were going to go into office and do whatever the hell they wanted. Right. And then there's another group that panders to people that hate them or at the very least are apathetic to them and then goes into office and doesn't do a damn thing. And then this is the, this is the hand that the media is playing. So they, yes. yep. you know, they don't want to show me that this, this person that I met in person who I had a conversation with, they want to show me like the extreme a political version. abstraction. Yes. They're out, yep. you know, they're, they're putting me in danger and then I just, you know, I got to get angry about it and do something. They have to show you a caricature. They have to show you an angry person that's going to burn down everything you care about. And they have to show them a racist person who is a bigot and doesn't care about them and just, you know, wants to have their guns and their, and their, and their, their money and doesn't care about the poor or whatever. They have to create these political abstractions Mm. because that way we can dehumanize each other and we can be nice and resentful and hateful to each other if and when we do actually meet. We can go straight to punching each other instead Mm. of listening to what each other has to say. Now, there are some bad actors who do just want to destroy. They do just want to harm other people. Mm. But the vast, vast majority of us have legitimate, valid concerns, often on the exact same things. Mm. And we know as libertarians, that our ideas work. We know that we're better than the left on the things the left cares about. We know we're better than the right on the things the right cares about. For that matter, we know we're better than the center on the things they care about. So why are you? The exposure goes to a vocal minority, unfortunately. Yes, because it always will. And it always will. Yep. It always will. Yeah. yeah. That's th- where the ratings are. I think that's what we need is just have peaceful conversations with people and sit and listen and understand. And, 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 and people both on the right and the left need to know that because it's a lot of name calling and just not listening to anything, calling yep. people racist, bigot, oh, you hate old people, you hate poor people, yep, all this exactly. stuff. And I think every time, if you sit down and have a conversation, I think liberty will win every single time, like in Ben's case there. I think I think every single time people will see libertarianism and liberty, and it'll win every time if we sit down and always just have a conversation with, with everyone. More often than not, it will win, even if it's just, you know, a seed being planted. It, it, it may yep. not be a home run. In fact, it won't be a right. home run. Most yep. time people yep. will still walk away because that's how we process things. Very rarely uh, is someone even in the, the uh, intellectual capability of going, oh, wow, you've changed my mind in this very moment. Like, th- that's not how we're wired. We typically are like, well, I'll have to think about that. But the fact that you've even had a respectful conversation and kept it respectful and listen to what they had to say mm. that plants that seed and you know what they may plant a seed in you and something that you may not have realized that that makes sense to you i mean it's not all a one-way thing um but but this is what we do and i'm, I'm so happy to hear that you did this without even my prompting you because yeah. this is you know so often when i talk to libertarians they're like how do we tell these statist bootlickers that liberty is the way and i'm like well first of all i appreciate your enthusiasm but pounding your fist and calling them status book lickers is probably the first thing you should stop doing when you're talking with them and, and start engaging with them as something other than the political, political abstraction you've created in your head. And instead, look at them as what they are. They're a human being with valid concerns and fears mm-hmm. and, and, and problems and hopes and dreams. And if you break down past the labels and the barriers and the, and the, and the, the, the ideas that they may have for how to fix things and look at what their concerns are, more than likely, you probably 100% agree that there are problems in these different areas and that they need to be fixed. And you may even agree on what needs to be fixed about them. You just disagree on how to do that. And their disagreement with you on how to do that may come down to the fact that there was only one group even talking to them in the first place. So they just went by default to what they said. 
and you coming with a better idea, a much better idea that actually makes sense could be the thing that actually brings them into the party or at least plants the seed that we aren't bad people and that right. we are worth listening to and, and, and taking, taking heed of what we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, so for you personally, like how did you, uh, how did you get involved? Well, like with the libertarian party, like what was, what, what kind of put that into motion? When did that happen? I know you have a history as a, like an entrepreneur and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the, the growth or, uh, well, what made me a libertarian was two things. Uh, one, uh, I actually started as a neocon. I, I was that post 9-11 guy that, you know, believed that we needed to use the military to spread freedom and prosperity and that the terrorists hated right. us for our freedom and we had to kill them for all. I mean, it sounds like stupid nonsense. I, I'm embarrassed to even say it now, but I believed it wholeheartedly. And right. uh, I also was, I started a business uh, when I was 16. I started a web design company back in the late 90s, back in 1999. And, uh, and so two things were happening. One, I was becoming incredible. It was becoming increasingly successful with my business. And the more successful you become with the business, the more you watch government actively try to punish you, yep. uh, and make it harder and harder and harder for you and treat mm-hmm. you sometimes like a presumed guilty criminal yep. for the crime of creating jobs and helping grow small businesses and startups and helping create prosperity and grow wealth for small businesses. It's insane. That makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Now, of yeah. course, if, if and when I reach the point of being a multi-billionaire, then I could leverage the power of government to use those barriers and burdens against smaller businesses so that I had fewer competition and to you know basically use the federal troth of endless federal reserve notes to just enrich myself at the expense of everyone else. But I wasn't there at that point. Right. Um, and so that, that happening kind of you know made me realize government was often an agent of harm when they were doing anything other than just protecting the live rights and property the people. Um, and then the other thing was seeing as the wars overseas unfolded and as the, the surveillance plans here unfolded and just seeing that all of the libertarians and, and even some of the conservatives and progressives who warned what would happen uh, if we gave government this power after 9-11, watching it unfold and watching the, the, the massive human suffering unfold at huge cost to the American taxpayer, uh, I realized that uh, I was wrong. Uh, and then I kind of went from being a neocon to kind of working my way to eventually being a libertarian. Yeah. Um, I was very successful in my company. And, uh, but, I, but I always, in the back of my head, I was like, well, my real passion is spreading the message of liberty. But I always focused on, on the right. money aspect. Uh, in 2014, the right side of my body went numb. And uh, after about two years of various diagnoses uh, or various testing and, and, and waiting, uh, in 2016, I was finally diagnosed with MS. Um, and, uh, I, I did heal from that. You know, I, I, I now have a little bit of a sandpapery feeling in this hand. So it's, you know, right. I did heal from that, but, uh, that was a very jarring discovery. And when the doctor told me that the goal of the treatment for MS was to, uh, slow the rate of progression so that it wasn't much different than just the natural aging process that hit me like a ton of bricks. It made me realize we're all just kind of slowly working our way to when we're not here anymore. And, and we try to block that out as kind of a defense mechanism, but it's true. A uh, hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here. Right. And I started asking myself, okay, hundred years from now, what do I want my legacy to be? I want my grandkids and great grandkids and great, great grandkids to know who I am. Not because I was super wealthy and gave them a bunch of money. Uh, and there's no guarantee that my being super wealthy would even do that. Right. I want them to remember me as someone who helped set the world free 
and who talk to people about human liberty and who spread a message of liberty. Uh, and that has become my singular focus. And so I retired from my company uh, and have focused my life full-time on libertarian activism ever since then. That culminated in my becoming the co-owner of Money Waters Media and okay. the, uh, the host of my fellow Americans and the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom and eventually culminated in my becoming the, uh, the libertarian nominee for vice president. Joe and I are running to set this world free in our time and to build a army of, uh, uh, an army of human liberty. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, starting a revolution essentially in this country. And it's a peaceful it's, it's revolution a that peaceful is based revolution. on yes. the concept of taking our power back. That should have never been taken from us in the first place. That the founding fathers never even intended for at this. Oh, point. not even close. No, not even no, close to. War no, in fact, actually now, so. warned against exactly this thing yes. happening. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the Federalist Papers and 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 all of the writings of the founders, except for I guess uh, Hamilton, uh, but pretty much everyone else's yeah. writings were basically just warnings that this exact thing would happen if allowed to happen. And here we are. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's time to heed that warning and to take the power back. Uh, and to recognize, like, it's not as though that time was some great era for liberty for everyone. I mean, at that time, there was an entire race of people that were owned like cattle. So it's not saying we're going to go back to anything. We're going to go forward into a reality in which all of us have all of our power and our freedom and our wealth back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Things things change and evolve and uh, you yep. just move with the times. But We the, need to. We need to evolve the, as well. The lessons that have been proven true, especially with uh, the the sheer brilliance of our founding fathers, it's it's absolutely insane. Like they they basically wrote a play by play for like what is going to happen. What's going to happen? It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like two hundred, three hundred years in advance. Um, it's it's absolutely even some of the slave owners. Uh-huh. Even some of the slave owners warned about what would happen if we continue to own people as as and I say we, uh, but if the if the country allowed a small handful of people to continue to own an entire race of people as chattel slaves. So even right. in their own in the midst of their own victimization of people of color, they even recognized what the the, the logical conclusion of that would end up being. So right. no, I mean they they laid a pretty good play by play of what would happen if we put our safety and our protection and basically our succumbing to the fear mongering of politicians above our own liberty. Uh, and we are seeing the result of that happening. Um, and it is understandable why so many give into that fear mongering because they lay it on pretty thick and they make our lives harder and harder and harder. And that is why it is incumbent upon us. It is absolutely crucial for us as libertarians to reach these folks where they are without preconditions, without preconceptions, just listen to what they're saying and reflect back that we're listening to them and that we understand what what they're going through, that we're often going through some of those things as well, and that we can go on a journey together for human liberty to fix these problems that have been created by the statist Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. Totally true. Um, I have a question. Um, sure. And then I will, I will have to go in, in the next few minutes cause I have something immediately after this, but I, but no I, I'd be happy to answer your question. All right. Awesome. Yeah. No problem at all. I appreciate you making the time for this and working through yeah. some of the hiccups in the beginning of this broadcast. Yeah, <laughs> no um, problem. Appreciate it. No problem, man. So th- there's been some criticism of the libertarian party in recent years, just for, um, some of the things candidates have said, like, uh, just a really basic example would be like Gary Johnson. So like why, <clears throat> what about you and Joe makes uh, this party really serious? Like what opportunity do you think that you guys and like your brand brings to the party? 
that. So first, so first I want to say some of the, one of the biggest things I hear about Gary Johnson is that he didn't know what Aleppo was in, uh, in an interview. Uh, and if you watch that entire interview, yeah. uh, first of all, no one can possibly know every single name of every single city in every yep. single country. Um, they were talking about something completely differently. Uh, right. That was completely different subject. And then I don't know where they go. What about Aleppo? Uh, and so there's been some speculation that he thought they were saying, what about a Aleppo and, didn't even know what they were talking about. Regardless, right. once they told him what Aleppo was, mm-hmm. he gave a good answer about it. That it right. was none of the the U.S. government's business. That with that our interference or that the military's the U.S. government's interference in the Middle East has made things worse and worse. And that the best thing that we as Americans can do is is bring the troops home and and and, and let that healing begin there. So he gave right. a great answer. With that said, yeah. Joe and I are running a serious campaign. We are running a campaign that is based on again reaching people where they are at a time when our opponents are hiding in their bunkers and basements to escape the wrath of the people who are out protesting against the obvious conclusions to their failed, terrible policies. We are out in those same streets in buses and fly ahead tours and, and rallies and everything else and going to their protests and their rallies and listening to what they have to say and yeah. spreading a message of liberty. And we invite you and, and we invite anyone who is, who is running for office as a libertarian to join us. Uh, to we, as I said, we are building an army uh, for human liberty, fighting for a world set free in our time. And we need your help. If you haven't already done so, I ask you to join the Libertarian Party. Uh, and you can do that by going to lp.org and signing up today. Um, you can then go there and find out where your state and local affiliates are. Um, we are building a grassroots army. It is at the grassroots level with it where this is happening. If one person convinces another person that they are a libertarian or demonstrates to them that they are a libertarian and gets them to join the party and joins, they have just doubled their power in that moment. And that is something that can only be done at the grassroots level is to multiply our power and multiply our force. If you are able to get 10 people to join the movement and the party, you have done the part that you need to do to ensure that we win the election, not in the future, in this election cycle and to help grow the party in the meantime. Um, and that is, that is the best thing that you could do. But Joe and I are running a, a, a serious, fact-based, empathetic, engaging, and dynamic campaign across all 50 states to demonstrate to the American people that the problems that they are facing are happening as a direct result of the bad, centrally planned, arbitrarily defined, and crony-friendly policies of the Republican Party, and that our common-sense libertarian solutions are going to fix those problems, and that it intuitively makes sense, uh, and, and to show them intuitively how it makes sense that those, problem, that those policies will fix those problems. We are doing that every day, and we ask you to join us. Awesome. Well, I was going to say, yes, time, time to join the moment and abolish the IRS. Yes. Abolish the IRS, abolish the ATF, abolish the DEA, abolish the, uh, the federal reserve. There's, there's quite a few that we, that, that we will, that many of those can be ended at the executive level and the rest of them can be greatly stymied at the executive level. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely. You got time for one final question? Sure. Be a quick go one. ahead. Yeah, okay. yeah. Go ahead. This is just for fun. We'll end after this, but, uh, okay. so you, you and Joe win, right? Mm-hmm. President, vice president. If you could pick anyone for your cabinet, what are some names you'd throw in? Like it can, to make it fun, it can be anybody, any party who's alive or any celebrity, whoever you want. Do you have any ideas um, or is that a little? Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 this has to be for fun just because I have to yeah, defer, yeah. No, I have absolutely. to defer to Joe. That's obviously a, a Joe thing. Yeah. Uh, no. 
I think one person that I keep going back to, mm-hmm. um, who, when I'm asked about this, it's like one of the first names that pops into my head. Yeah. Um, and it's someone who I disagree with a lot politically okay. and, uh, I'm not necessarily a great fan of all of, of all of his policies. Yeah. Uh, but I think on the one thing I would want to put him on, uh, we'd agree probably a hundred percent. That's Jesse Ventura that uh, he would, yes. he is someone that, uh, he, I was expecting it. Uh, yep. uh, former, yep. He's a Navy SEAL. Right. Uh, he is someone who understands that, uh, U S military policy, uh, right. has served to do nothing other than take some of our best and brightest who signed up to protect and defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Right to then be sent by those domestic enemies overseas to fight and kill and potentially die for the benefit of military contractors and central bankers and foreign dictators. And then when they come home, if they're fortunate enough not to come home in a flag draped casket, they often come home with all sorts of different health problems, uh, PTSD, chronic uh, uh, pain issues, traumatic brain injury, all sorts of stuff. And they're subjected to the worst form of healthcare in this country, which is so managed, happens to also be government managed healthcare, which is the VA. Uh, And I think having someone like Jesse in there, uh, besides just completely frustrating all the Republicans in Congress, uh, he would be able to articulate pretty well, uh, you know, uh, exactly what I'm saying about it and and on personal terms because he experienced it. Um, Now, with that said, again, I defer 100% to Joe on who she would want. She has never indicated she wants Jesse. This was more just for fun type of thing. But he is someone that uh, that. (laughs) at the very least, I'd invite him to come speak at the bully pulpit occasionally so that he could he could give them an earful. Well, we're familiar with him here in Minnesota. He was our governor for. No, I know, I know, yeah, I yeah. know. So, yeah, which it's crazy to think about an independent actually won the governor of a state, but we kind of have a running joke here. Um, our current governor now he's he's a dipshit. Uh, Tim Pawlenty was awful. Mark <laughs> Dayton was awful. So we I we kind of have this joke as the years go by, like. We're going to reflect, and this pro wrestler was like the most respectable, intelligent the be- governor the, yeah. of this state. The best governor you had, sucked. exactly. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And, and why did he win? He, yes, his celebrity helped, but it wasn't like he was the best known person on, on earth. Right. He was able to leverage his celebrity and his ability to, to make shocking statements or whatever to then pivot and demonstrate that he understood what Minnesotans were going through right. and that he empathized with them and that he had plans on how to do it. And again, I don't agree with all of his policies, but right. he demonstrated to Minnesotans that he got it and he was yeah. able to leverage that and to do so. And that's, it's, you know, in, in, in small part, what I'm hoping to do and what Joe and I hope to do at the, on the national level as well. Yeah. He found a way to kind of break through that, you know, glass that ceiling. mainstream glass yep. ceiling. Yep. So yep. Uh, he let them know that it wasn't about left versus right. It was them. It was us versus them basically. Yeah. So, perfect. Awesome. Well, yeah, I don't know. We'll stop there. I think that's a good note. I don't want to keep you waiting too long. Um, it's been awesome to talk to you. We've been excited about this for a while. So I appreciate you uh, joining us on this broadcast. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. And yeah. uh, let's go win this thing. Thanks. Absolutely. Good luck yeah. to you. Thanks, Spike. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Yep. You too. Bye. Bye. Are you gonna go?